0: Welcome
1: to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio, where we explore pathways to health for self, society, and the planet. We are home to a range of voices, as there is no single roadmap for meeting the challenges of our times. Tune in each week to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Now, here's your
2: host... Welcome, everyone, to Revolutionary Wellness Radio, and this is Susan Olesic. I am here, compliments of Rochelle McLaughlin, and I am so excited to talk to you today about Type 5. We're investigating the investigator, you might say, and my guest is Clay Toomey. Um, This is a special segment for me because Clay and I go all the way back to, uh, I always have to get the dates right from the 5, I think 2001. Is that right, Clay? Um, It was, no,
0: it was 2000. 2011. Yeah, 2009. uh, uh, January of 2010. No, I'm going to correct myself. (laughs) Your first trip to Texas was November of 2009, and then I got there a month later, and we met in January of 2010.
2: We're off like a pack of turtles. And um, Clay already (laughs) has, spoiler alert, uh, let you guys know that we met in prison. And um, it's a, it's special to talk about this because meeting Clay and being in the environment in which we met inspired me in so many different ways, and in particular, he inspired me by being sort of a, a mind-blowing, gregarious, open, generous, helpful, thoughtful type five. None of which is the stereotype that fives tend to have around them. And uh, I was in a large class of over a hundred men, and after um, we finished teaching, or actually after I finished teaching, I went back to California, and when Clay was released, he reached out to me, and we continued to work together as EPP was being established, and has sort of been alongside the project in many different ways, and most notably as an EPP ambassador, as a nearly certified Enneagram teacher with the Enneagram Institute, and he is currently completing the the first of the EPP teacher training program, um, Clay is author also the author of a book, a memoir of sorts called The Blue Chip Store that hopefully he'll share about in a little while. and a daddy to two beautiful boys. Welcome Clay.
0: Thank you. Glad to be here.
2: Really glad to have you. We have um, we're moving into the head center of intelligence and um, and Clay is going to be a big part of the Type five. And one thing that we know about type type five is how they teach us about what we need to know. And what we can trust, and so um, there's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of freedom in knowing knowing ourselves. I just want to start by asking you, Clay. What is it like um, to be? Um, I would say, what's it like to be talking about type five this far along in your journey since we met all that time ago?
0: Well. Um, It's a lot better now than it was then because at the time I was still struggling so much to find, not just to learn the Enneagram and to learn about Type 5, but just to learn myself. So um, that's a long journey that uh, will take me all the way to the grave, I'm sure. But um, (laughs) it's a lot better, you know, seven years later uh, as far as comfort and ease and all that other good stuff goes. So um, I find it to be... um, it's just one of the things I enjoy doing, so type five is is probably the type I know the best, and uh, I, I, I'm happy to share anything I can.
2: Well, type five comes from the head center of intelligence, and these are the types that um, that tend to not trust their own thinking, and uh, ironically, we tend to have the most amount of resources in a certain way in, in the center of intelligence and um, the least amount of freedom there because we don't... Tend to trust um, our own internal guidance if we're a five, six, or seven, and that's um, that's true of the whole center. But in a big way, we'll see how that is true about type five. And there's a there's a way in which um, type five sort of afraid that they're they're not going to be enough. They're not going to know enough. There's not enough mastery. And nine different ways, all the different types believe that they're not enough. And um, it's painful, most painful when we find our own territory. So hopefully you can help us to understand how this is for you, Clay. And um, there, there are a lot of different angles to Type 5. And what I'm hoping to do for you and for for me and for all of our listeners is to talk about how, um, through your journey, the things that you've learned about yourself, um, how how you... Have learned to pay attention to them and where you sort of notice them in the first place. And so, I want to start off by this original. Um, people call it different things, but this this disconnection from self or this primal catastrophe, that this sense of not not being able to trust that there's enough inside there for me. Um, and I'm I'm wondering. Um, you know, we don't we don't totally start that way. I think in a lot of ways we come out. Um, Knowing, kind of embodying or exemplifying the gifts of ourselves in type five, they kind of teach us about um, about clarity and about knowing things. and there's when when fives are really connected, there's a there's a uncanny way of of how they know things without getting all cloudy and cluttered in their thinking. And um, I'm wondering if you if you know anything about this or if you can describe that that part of five that that is the good stuff that, that you like so much about yourself?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, well, first of all, I think there's an explanation for everything and, uh, we don't always know what that explanation is, but the journey to find it is, is very, uh, intriguing a lot of times. Um, since we're talking about the good stuff, I'll just stick with intriguing for now. Uh, the struggle comes when that answer is not easily found, but, um, I, I enjoy, just figuring out the smaller things in life as much as I do the bigger things. It's just part of, um, it's kind of what fuels my day. Um, just trying to find the answers that, you know, might be important, might not be important, whatever. But, you know, finding the answers is, is just fun. It's it's what, to me, it's, I don't know, it's what what gives life meaning.
2: <laughs> right, right. And can you say a little bit about how, um, how did the uh, the high side of this or this this knack for being able to see things that other people don't see and being a bit of an investigator and watching for the the details in life that other people don't pay attention to how did this help you in in any kind of way as a survival strategy as you were growing up how was that useful
0: um, I think the um, the first thing that comes to mind just hearing that explanation is how I was a class clown as a child um, my whole um, you know, as a student, I was always the kid that made everybody laugh. And uh, I, I liked it. It was, it was, it's a nice feeling to be able to make people laugh and to kind of control a room um, just to make, uh, you know, groups of people suddenly enjoy something that just happened. And, you know, on the surface, just, it's fun to laugh, you know, it's all that good stuff. But deeper than that, you know, I, I find, um, you know, the way that, you know, some people try to make people laugh and they just fail miserably. They're just not funny. They don't know what's funny and they can't, they can't convince other people that what they're saying is funny. And um, to me, I always thought, you know, that there's a reason that, uh, you know, I I talk about this a little bit in the book early on is, is I wanted to figure out why did people laugh? You know, you could have two people tell the exact same joke and one of them, you know, just completely bombs it. And the other one just, you know, makes the crowd roar. And I, I thought, there's a reason for that, and I I liked uh, trying to figure out what that was. So, and to me, you know, as a child, um, I didn't particularly care. I like sports, but I didn't. I wasn't, you know, like competing and trying to impress everybody with my athletic skills. And uh, I wasn't the most social kid in the world. And my way of kind of, I guess, surviving, if if you want to call it that, through school was just by uh, making one of them. Anyways, was by you know, trying to figure out what's funny, make people laugh, make people like me because I'm funny, you know, or or whatever. So that that's the first thing that comes to mind, um, when when you ask that.
2: Yeah, and when and and we love the five four. They're they're often as a dry wit, and um, <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> you're already laughing, so yeah. Yep. And um, what happens when you aren't feeling super connected to yourself? What we hear in theory is that. Fives become convinced that the world takes too much and wants too much out of me. Fives become very focused on the intrusions and people sort of um, overwhelming me and feeling maybe even overwhelmed inside and and finding a way to retreat up inside my mind and figure out um, things that I can know and mental strategies in order to feel safer, like feel like I have more that I can um, count on inside myself. Do you recognize this kind of shift
0: yeah, big time. And and the irony is, um, this the same scenario can bring two different reactions from me. I I like being the guy that that people want to go to when they need answers. I I love being the nec- an expert on anything, and um, it's 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 nice to be that go-to guy. But then I also can't stand people asking me questions, and it drives me nuts. Like even something as simple as, you know, what I had for lunch. Uh, somebody says, uh, you know what what you have for lunch today or i don't to me my first question is in my, to myself like why is this person asking me that why do they want who cares why are they asking me what i had for lunch <laughs> uh, but you know on other topics i love being that person so it's actually a bit of a paradox and it's not always um, anything i ever fully understand why you know what what triggers the good reaction or what triggers the bad reaction i don't know maybe i'll figure it out one day but for now it's just mostly confusing of uh, you know why? Why I love being the person that somebody asks questions to sometimes, and then other times it's like, get out of my business, stop being nosy, or you know what? In, well, I
2: think sorry. what you're speaking to, Clay, for all of us is the par- That's the paradox: is why is it okay one one way and, and not okay in a different way? And um, when we when we lose that connection inside of ourselves, and when we start to see people as um, as taking over or intruding inside of ourselves. That's a reflection of a, something that's already happened on the inside. And I think that um, one of the real uh, gifts of Wisdom of the Enneagram is that, if people are familiar with that book, is that it helps you to walk down the different levels of, mm-hmm. they call them levels, levels of development. I think it think of them more like levels of presence. But when we continue to lose contact, we actually lose uh, our ability to be our um All the qualities that I describe you with in the beginning with that generosity of heart and spirit and that willingness to stay in contact with other people, all of that starts to to go away. And fives go further and further up into their mind and more and more withdrawn and more and more detached, which is that defense that makes me feel like I'm going to be safe and kind of works, right? It kind of makes me feel safer. It also cuts me off from things like love and connection and people wanting to be with me. And, um, so I'm wondering if you could help us to
0: understand
2: a little bit about how, how that happened for you all the way down to being so disconnected that you ended up in a prison.
0: Well, uh, that's a, um, it it was a long process that just was a constant spiral down. And I think, um, early in my twenties, um, I don't know, mid to early twenties, I, I had what I thought was everything that you know most people aspire to have. Not that I was you know like rich and all that good stuff, but I mean I had a good job. I was married, had a great wife, great family, I had a new house. We both had new vehicles. You know the <laughs> the stability was is about as good as it could have been, and I, I went. I started wanting to do different things because I just found that um, life was kind of boring, living that same old you know nine to five life and. I don't know, it was not rewarding at all, and I started having some aspirations of doing other stuff, and and uh, the thing that I wanted to do was, I wanted to be a professional poker player, and I, I watched it on TV, and I thought, I could learn that, you know, and it, it just totally fascinated me, everything about it, and I got a lot of pushback from my family, who was otherwise very supportive of everything I'd done at that point. Um, I'm also a musician, and they, they even supported the dream to be a musician, you know, which a lot of musicians don't have. And I even had that. But for some reason, um, I got a lot of pushback when I wanted to do this other thing. And so I, my first reaction was, uh, well, this sucks. I mean, that's that's not <laughs> – but I, I didn't expect that from my family. And um, I think that kind of changed my perspective on how some of my relatives um, – it just changed my perspectives of, of them as people, I guess. I don't know. Um, how they dealt with money or what they thought was right or good or whatever and I i had this little thing in my head that said I could do it but I'm going to do it and nobody's going to want me to do it and so I could either choose to do something without support or stay miserable with support so I, I decided that I would pursue something that, that might be exciting to me so I did and that was the first um, that was probably the first big moment that I had that I kind of broke away from, not broke away from my family, literally, but that's when I decided that I'm doing this regardless of who's on board or who's not on board. And the, the further down that path I went, um, I it just got worse. And... Um, I
2: just want to jump in right here for you for a second because this is true really for 5, 6, and 7. And I think it's so poignant that you can point to this moment and this word that you're using of this turn. And it, it was a turning away of family because it seemed as though they didn't support you. And, of course, if they, they didn't maybe support the vocation for all kinds of reasons. But mm-hmm. it felt very, very personal and felt very betraying, it sounds like, inside of you.
0: Yeah, and the and the reasons were are actually now kind of um, easier for me to identify. If they if they would have said, you know, that's a high risk thing. It's not smart to do that. I could have probably dealt with that a little better. But instead, the the <laughs> the comments that I got was, you can't you can't do that. It's it's you know it's all luck. It's not anything to do. So now this whole argument about whether or not it's a skill game versus a complete you know crapshoot, um, and. And as somebody who learned the game, and I can have this debate in circles with anybody forever, but as somebody who learned the game, I, I know things that they weren't even willing – by they, I mean my family my, – that they weren't even willing to accept my explanation. Like, this is why – like, you know, I would try to say, you think this about this game, and I'm trying to tell you that that's not true, and not only because of my opinion, but because of this, and show them, you know, ABC or whatever – and the conversation was not even an option. It just was right. you can't do this. It's you can't be lucky for a living. It's just not how it goes. So and it my wife like- was the one person who supported me the most. Everybody else, you can't do it. It's just, you know, a crapshoot. So it bothered me that they wouldn't accept my explanation of why they that why we disagreed on it, I guess.
2: Right. It sounds like the the core thing is that they weren't able to trust your thinking, or they, dis- exactly. they discounted your what you knew. And so, tell us a little bit about um, about kind of what you did and how that turn kind of went all the way, one hundred eighty degrees away from people that actually did love you and support you. And we'll hear about the 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 return to that a little bit later, because. Yeah. Um, this is this is an interesting journey,
0: right? So I, I I started thinking, and I'll I'll accept the responsibility for where my mind went, and it was to a very unhealthy state, and it was uh, gradual at first, and then a very rapid descent. Um, but I I ultimately decided through all these, uh, and it wasn't even like a lot of arguments, and it wasn't like these tons of debates. It was just you know little tidbits here and there of of lack of support and. I ultimately decided that my um, that my family just uh, not not worshipped money, but just had this very different view of how finances should be dealt with. And I I started to have a problem with that. And um, my uh, my mother uh, and and this led to ultimately led to prison through a very weird uh, series of events. But my mother had um, a CD at the bank that was in my name and her name, and in case something happened to her, I'd be able to have uh, you know, money um, without any red tape or whatever, and it was like $25,000, bucks, was not a ton of money, but it was enough to notice if it went missing, and on the day that it matured, uh, I went down to the bank, and I transferred it into uh, my checking account, and then just got rid of it, and <laughs> I thought, um, I didn't ha- really have a plan for that whole thing, but I just, I knew I wanted to you know get rid of all this money and um and i don't know that i i can't really say that i was trying to get back at my mom for anything because she didn't do anything to me but it, you know i just wanted um the i felt like there was way too much focus on money and success and all this other stuff and i thought that you know if that wasn't if it, if the money wasn't there anymore you know i couldn't get my hands on all of it but i could have access to this little bit um that i could maybe change the perception of of what money really is so um I, after I did that, um, you know, my family was like, wow, what's like, what's going on here? And I, I, I kind of freaked out and denied it. Uh, I kind of chickened out and instead of taking responsibility and making this big noble stand of, this is why I did what I did. I just denied it and said, Oh, that, that wasn't me. And all the way to the point that we filed like police affidavits, somebody had stolen my identity and you know, all this other stuff. And when the surveillance picture from the bank came back they called my mom down to see like maybe you know who who is this guy that impersonated your your son and of course when she saw the images she knew that it was me so um she didn't pursue anything else with the bank or the police at that point um but she came to my house with my uh my wife and at the time and my dad and they confronted me and i just kept denying it and that's when it got really bad. Um, I, I want to
2: jump in here too. I think that there's a there's a fixation inside of five people call it different things: a retention, a hoarding, a holding. And it's um, it's really it can be come out in in different ways. In hoarding my knowledge and what I know, and and this way it really was was also really a hoarding of yourself, right? That like you're not going to mm-hmm. let anybody know anything about you at that point because you're you're pretty disconnected.
0: Yeah, I, I, I wrapped myself in this pretty solid armor, and there was no getting inside. I was my own person by that point, and I didn't care who you were. I wasn't going to listen to anything you had to say. I wasn't going to answer anything you had to ask. I wasn't going to accept any of your emotions. I didn't have any uh, any connection with any kind of uh, relationship between There's myself. Yours and, yeah, or yours. Yeah, at all. I just turned into a robot.
2: Right.
0: and Um, the other, you know, all the, all the times that I had accepted emotions and relationships and trying to consider other people's, you know, feelings, you know, it got me to a point to where I was miserable. So I just kind of ditched it all. And, and you know what, I can do this all by myself. I don't need people. I don't, they don't need me. Um, and it was, it was as if I was suddenly a stranger to them and vice versa. Which is why it was so hard because I was pretty dang close to my family, and it was really it wasn't like they were just distant folks who I knew. It, these were people that I loved and cared about and who I'd, I'd been very close to my whole life. So um, that that was a really quick uh, descent and in um, the whole thing, I, I just I stuck to, I, I, I held to it, and I denied that. I denied that they mattered. I denied that I mattered to them. And sometimes I was vocal about it. Sometimes I just kept it to myself. And
2: there's a real, there's a real um, isolation of self, <laughs> and this is the way that fives seem to protect themselves. And it's really striking me, Clay, not just for five, but for all nine types, how we um, we project out onto people the idea, the beliefs that we have. And almost like we create a virtual reality that is just a movie screen going out into the world. And But if somebody were to put their hand up, we'd realize that there was just this filter through this lens, right literally through which we're, we're projecting the whole thing. And I heard Sandra Maitrey say just today, actually, I heard her say, you need to, um, the invitation is to turn toward the light. But at that point, are, you know, you're pretty far down that road, and it's pretty hard to make contact with yourself. Can we're going to need to take a break in a few minutes here, but I'm wondering if you can, um, in the next three minutes or so, kind of take us to where you went all the way after that, and then after the break, we'll come back to maybe what it was like um, on the
0: inside. Sure. So um, the thing, the thing that I learned from that whole situation with the bank and all that other stuff. It wasn't that you know, wow, my family loves me, and you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, that they cared about money more than me, uh, because their reaction had nothing to do with money. It was like, why is Clay all of a sudden lying to us about everything? Why, why does he not have anything to do with this? So, they showed in the best way possible how much I really meant to them. And the thing that I learned from it was, wow, bank surveillance is really terrible because the pictures of me, you couldn't tell they were me. You, only my mom would know. They were grainy. They were horrible. And if this is the best thing that a bank has to see who's in their bank, then I could have just robbed the place, and nobody would have nobody would be able to identify me unless unless my mom or somebody else that knew me got got a hold of the images somehow. So, um, two very different takeaways from mm. that whole scenario, and that's that's the one that I took. So, um, that's where the idea to rob a bank first kind of came about, um, as far as an actual. You know, something like, you know, an option that I had in life. And so I kind of got fascinated with it. I started looking into it. And uh, to draw an an analogy to the class clown trying to figure out how to make people laugh, you know, it was the same with bank robbery. You know, some people got away and some people didn't get away. And I wanted to find out why.
2: Hmm. And um, I I think it's important, this part too, you you were a successful bank robber. Would you say? Uh,
0: I wouldn't say it, but uh, <laughs> other <laughs> people have. I feel a little weird calling it that, but
2: it's yeah, probably mean, accurate in most. What I mean, decisions. yeah, more meaning that you you got away with it, and some people don't. And that was the big question in your mind. And to, to point out that um, getting away with it is um, goes to the competency of type five, which is important, not as a three might. Perceive it as I need to be successful. I need to be the best bank robber, but rather that my mind works and it is a, it, it is something that I can trust, which is what fives feel like. It's the only thing I can trust. So I think it's noteworthy.
0: I robbed the banks and I did not get caught. How about
2: that? Okay, so let's keep it actual and uh, <laughs> very very factual, and um, and. What was the, and we have about one minute left until our yeah. break here, what was the way in which you um, you ended up in prison if you didn't get caught?
0: Um, so, towards the end of 2006, I became a father. Uh, October 4th of 2006, my first son was born. And um, anybody who has kids, and probably most who even don't have kids, know that something changes it's just i don't i can't explain it i don't know why i don't know the neurological things that happen but something happens and and it's just different life is not the same and all the stuff that i had been doing to that point had been to, for myself and i i found myself considering like what what is it you know i have a child I have a baby i did two more banks after he was born and they weren't they weren't the same they weren't fun for lack of a better word And I found myself wondering, like, this innocent baby has a dad who's me, and I didn't like it. So I decided to turn myself in. And it took a while to work up the nerve to do that, but ultimately I turned myself in.
2: Thank you, Clay. We'll be right back.
3: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. In these times of converging crisis, the world needs us now more than ever before. Revolutionary Wellness Magazine is devoted to amplifying, inspiring voices facing challenging realities head on opening up new places of power and inviting curiosity about the paths we might take toward personal communal and global health the magazine aspires to help us become the change we wish to see in the world co-creating the more beautiful world we know to be possible join us on this journey log on and subscribe to revolutionary wellness magazine today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright Revolutionary Wellness. Subscribe today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com and begin your journey into the mystery. Engage with experts in topics of nourishment, wisdom, and empowerment. Develop mental clarity. Live wholeheartedly and be empowered to live an authentic life of passion and purpose. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today and experience the publication devoted to your journey toward extraordinary health and well-being. RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: You're listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Our hosts are clinicians of mind and body medicine and lifestyle change. They are writers, activists, educators, and change agents. You can reach the show and our hosts at
2: experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now, back to our show. And we're back with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. My guest is Clay Tini. And Clay, we're just picking up with you where you left off when you turned yourself in. And I want to ask you, what was it like to wake up in prison on your first day?
0: Well, the, the, the lead up to finally turning myself in was about five months. So I had a lot of time to think about it, a lot of time to plan, you know, what I was going to do. And when I finally turned myself in, um, the arresting officers were, everything was very professional. And I uh, went back to the jail and, you know, the, the detective asked me all the questions and they treated me pretty nicely, and I, I even got like an extra hot pocket, which matters in jail, by the way. <laughs> um, but after all this all this um, release of information, because I sat and chatt- chatted with the detective for quite a while, and um, so it was a little bit before I finally got to a cell, and they had even moved around some guys so that I would have a cell by myself, and it was probably a few hours from the time I actually had handcuffs on to the time I finally got to a bed, and all the lead up to that and all the um, just the whole process of, of finally doing something. Um, I, I knew that this was uh, going to be a big moment in my life, but I didn't quite, I didn't, I didn't have the, the foresight to know that I, what I, knew, I just knew what I was doing was the right thing, but I didn't know why and I didn't know what to expect or anything. But when I finally got back to my, to my jail cell and I laid down and, um, it felt so good. It it felt good. I mean, it sucks being in jail. You know, I, I don't try to make that. You know, uh, I don't try to paint this picture of jail as a lovely place because it sucks. It's terrible. I don't recommend it for anybody. But for me, um, when I laid down in that, um, I wouldn't even call it a bed. It was more like a a mat, like a yoga mat on a metal bunk. Um, and I just I laid down, and it felt so good to. Uh, To have to have finally told people all this stuff that I did, and even better to know that nothing can happen from here except good stuff, because this was the lowest point. Period. I mean, this was as bad as it gets. But Mm -hmm. for some reason, that felt good. Like it. It Mm -hmm. was. There was this realization. Like, man, tomorrow is going to be better than than today, and Mm -hmm. I'm probably going to have a lot of those. So. Um, I just, I laid there, I stared at the, <laughs> I remember it crystal clear, like, you know, the the metal bunk above me, all the different gang graffiti scratched in it, and just just, just dirty, filthy jail cell was the most pleasant place in the world, and, I, and probably within a few minutes of my head, you know, hitting the, the mat there, I, I passed out, went to sleep, it was the best sleep I'd had in months, probably mm. years, and... Um, when I woke up the next day, it was, you know, my first morning in jail, and it was, you know, I, what I'd tell people was my first. That was my first day of freedom.
2: Mm. You know, so many times what we experience is when we're really, really down the depths of ourselves, we're so, so cut off. And in our classes, we talk about being above the line or below the line. And being above the line is when we're, we're really emotionally available, right? And we're curious about anything and we're open to anything. Our hearts are open. And when we're below the line, we are, you know, pretty shut down, We're pretty um, defended in every way, and it's, um, it's an isolating experience to not be able to feel your feelings and to be um, having to pretend that you're something that you're not to all the people around you. I mean, it takes a lot of defenses and maneuverings to portray yourself in one way when you're really way below that line. So I can, I can imagine the relief and um and just highlighting the the isolation of the five, it seems like you literally came back into contact with yourself. And at that point, then, can you tell us about um, sort of what happened in terms of your life in the in the jail and then prison in the first few months, and maybe how much time overall you served?
0: Sure. So, um, I overall, I did a little over three years. Uh, and when I first when I first um, went away as we say uh i didn't tell anybody i was i was going i called uh candace my wife at the time and i told her that i was going to be gone for a while but i didn't go into much detail i didn't call my mom i didn't call my brother i didn't call my dad i just kind of disappeared from the world so it was a bit of a shock i think out here for for most of my family and then for me um it was uh just the (laughs) it's just the best thing ever and I knew that uh, I, I knew that I, I needed to learn some stuff, and I had the best place possible to learn it because I had no responsibilities. I had no, and the, it sounds always kind of strange to say that say it this way, but when you're in jail, you you really, if if you make the most of it, you can really learn a lot about yourself and and prepare yourself for the free world again. And you know, I didn't um, I didn't have any of the responsibilities of adulthood or fatherhood or or being anything you know I was failing at all that stuff when I was bef- before I went to jail anyways but um when I when I was in jail I didn't have to worry about it anymore so. right so it sounds kind of crappy to put it that way but that's just where my head was at the moment and it's still kind of how I see it um so I uh I pretty quickly started realizing that a lot of the stuff I'd thought about myself, some of my self-images, I guess, were not accurate. I wasn't as awesome as I thought I was. I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. I wasn't as great of a person. I wasn't as likable. I wasn't as funny. I wasn't as anything as I thought I was. Because in jail, people are real quick to let you know that you're full of crap. And people are real quick to not associate with you if they don't genuinely like you or if they don't have a reason Uh, something to manipulate, you know? Um,
2: Well, and some of those, um, sorry to jump in, but some of those things that you're highlighting are, um, you know, their defenses in themselves because the the really kind of down the average unhealthy type 5, you know, they get written up as being kind of arrogant and mm-hmm. thinking everybody else is an idiot and nobody yeah. knows anything. And all of those, like, that that's required for people to be seen that way in order for you to still have that defense. So even yeah. though you're making more contact with yourself at this point, um, there's there's a kind of chiseling away at the personality structure. And um, there's some interesting ways that that happened for you. Maybe you can highlight some of the things that happened um, just in general population and then how you, how was it you, you mm-hmm. came into contact with the Enneagram?
0: Certainly. So the, uh, I, after a couple years, um, I got transferred to a unit down in near Houston, Texas. And, uh, I was, I was there for a specific reason. I was there for this business program. And in that program, um, I, you, they have what they call a character assessment. And, um, cause it's not just a pro, it's not just like a class. It's, it's kind of like a, We refer to ourselves as a brotherhood. We actually cared about each other and wanted each other to succeed when we got out. So there's a lot of support um, building each other up and all that good stuff. And so this character assessment is actually, um, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's in the corporate world. I think they call it like a 360 review or something like that. Mm -hmm. And everybody tells you everything about their perception of you, good, bad, and everything in between, really good and really bad. And uh, so... A lot of the feedback, and again, I'd been gone for two plus years at that point, and I thought I'd worked on myself and had knocked a lot of this, you know, nonsense off from my past. Because my whole life, everybody told me all the words you just said that I was arrogant. Uh, They also said I was condescending, that I was a know it all. You Mm -hmm. know, I thought the whole world was just mostly idiots, and that's kind of who I was. And I didn't always. I wasn't always vocal about it. Like I wouldn't always just trash people to their face, but that's what I thought the world was. It was full of idiots, only a few cool. smart people. Mm-hmm. And, um, in this character assessment, I got, you know, what we call banged up. I got, I got uh ding pretty bad. And most of it was people saying that I was arrogant, that I was condescending, that I was a know-it-all, that I wasn't approachable, that, you know, all these things that I'd heard my entire life from everybody at school, from my family, you know, that i had always denied because I always thought when people gave me that feedback, you know, in previous years, I just figured it was coming from a place of, I don't know, jealousy or some, some other kind of, you know, I figured it was their problem. So, you know, my attitude was, you know, yeah, I, I do come off like a know-it-all that's cause I know what I'm talking about when I'm talking. So, you know, that, and that was my attitude. And Uh sometimes it still is honestly, if I'm being totally transparent here, but, um, my my attitude back then was, you know, pr- prove me wrong. <laughs> and, you know, my attitude now is, what, am I coming across negatively? Like, do I need to address this with myself or whatever? But anyways, with the character assessment, I, I, that's the first time that people who were completely um, not connected to each other, talking about my family, my friends, all that stuff from the past, and then per- uh, current people, the, all the inmates that I was hearing this feedback from, they didn't know each other. So it wasn't like they were communicating and getting together and saying this stuff about me for any particular reason that's just what they saw me as and and they I didn't have a
2: vested opener. reason like your family might have and it was harder to take that angle with the feedback that you were getting it sounds like and what yeah, did you do sorry go 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 what did, what did you do with it cuz that's the um, interesting part for us you know when we're looking at the enneagram and i think well, what is it inside of a 5 and inside of your own readiness right well how do you make that like you were to use your word from earlier how do you make that turn inward towards your light rather than turning out towards another way away from yourself
0: well the timing of the character assessment was was not an accident they this was like a 6 month program and we have our char- the first character assessment was like you know the, the middle of January of 2009 and this is when you learn all the, or 2010 sorry you learn all this stuff about yourself and then a couple of weeks later they bring in, you know, the the Enneagram lady, <laughs> as we called you. So what I did with this information is at first it just hurt. You know, I, you get a printout with all these different adjectives that people use to describe you. And I looked at those every single morning. I took them to my cell, put them on my desk. And it actually kind of hurt because I, th- I thought I'd overcome all these things. I thought I was the guy that I'd always, you know, needed to be. And to find out that I wasn't was it, it actually kind of hurt. So. I obsessed over it, and I looked at those every day. And I, I tried every everything that I did. I tried to not be the guy that they described, but I didn't really know how to really change anything. I could all I could do was be aware of the fact that I'm condescending sometimes, and I need to be aware of the fact that I'm a jerk sometimes, and I, I don't know how to not be that. But at least I can be aware of it and maybe try to tone it down a bit. And then, of course, a couple weeks later, you come and start talking about the Enneagram and. You know, as a Texan growing up in the Bible belt, dad's a preacher, all that good stuff. Seeing this, you know, symbol when I walked into class that <laughs> day, this giant Enneagram, I thought it was like, you know, the occult or something. And but I was so hurt by this character assessment, in a good way, I guess, but I was it was I was just so raw from that. I was open to anything. And so when you started going through the types, and even before you got to my type, I started seeing like this This is like legitimate. This means something. You're describing people that I know, people's struggles, and and when you got to the five, it was like, this. You're just talking about me. This is all. Mm. This is this is so specific, and so relevant to my life, as a child, as a young adult, and at that point, as a thirty-year-old man, I. I, It was something that was so um, necessary for me. And I just, I soaked it up. I I couldn't get enough of it. It was, and even now it's just, you know, seven years into it, I still learn stuff about myself or my type or or other types. And I just can't imagine ever living without it because it's one thing to know what you are and all these things that you do, but then to know like what to do with it or, you know, whatever, like you often call it a, a map. You know, I don't, it's, I would just be kind of meandering aimlessly without them without a map knowing where to go or what to do or what to avoid i mean there's so mm-hmm. many so many ways to to talk about that but well so i want to
2: say though i think that there was really like you your heart was already kind of tenderized right the fact time. that you were feeling the impact of impact of everyone else's assessment said a lot about how your defenses had already started to come down because you're were, you were willing to take another look at yourself, and I think that many people want to know, how is it that the Enneagram works so well inside of prisons? Aren't those guys so defended? And of course, if we you know, took it on the yard to, and we forced everybody to do it, it wouldn't work quite so well. But I think that part of it is that people like yourself self-select into the class and want to be there, whereas maybe around the corporate you know, arena, you're there because it's your team leadership thing and you have to do it. So people can be pretty darn defended and not want to look. And the Enneagram's, you know, an amazing tool. And I uh, definitely feel like we know a, a thing or two about how to teach it with EPP. But really, the the readiness has to come from the student. And you were there. You were definitely there.
0: Yeah. I mean, I had, you know... I had no other real option at that point. <laughs> I mm-hmm. mean, I could I could keep being the same old miserable person forever, and and you know I I probably would have, um, or I could I could find an answer and 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 make a change. So, yeah, I don't think you can force feed anybody anything and and make it work. So, to not me, you know, yeah, especially not in prison. Yeah, cool. I just it just doesn't work. So.
2: Yeah. Let me ask you in the minutes that we have left here, Clay, can you, can you say something about um, your work since you've been out and um, you, how, how long has that been, first of all?
0: Uh, next month will be seven years. I got out August 31st of 2010.
2: Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, very happy to hear those dates. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you've been working in lots of different directions, so you wrote a book. Can you tell yeah. us about that?
0: Yep. I wrote a book. It's called The Blue Chip Store. And uh, my son named it without knowing he named it when he was a toddler, learning to talk. When he came to visit me, he he liked to come eat cool ranch Doritos. And, you know, they come in the blue bag. So he's come to the blue chip store to talk with me. He didn't know it was prison. So, um, and it's, it's just a story about, you know, my life, you know, about, uh, you know, crime, prison and second chances. Uh, so mm-hmm. they say so. Um, I, I start in the beginning, it's the day that I was born and then it follows my childhood all the way through, um, about two years ago, which is when I finally finished writing it. And it's a, it's a much more, uh, detailed explanation of, of the conversation we're having now, really. I mean, I talk about the Enneagram, I talk about all the things, all the events that led up to prison and I talk about prison and, and also talk about the things that I learned about myself and And just in general, I think it's a message of hope and knowing that you know it the, it you're always just one step away of turning and going to a different direction so no matter where you go, no matter how far you go um, you can always turn around so and that's that's for better or for worse, I guess but um, well,
2: and there's that that image again about the turning in or the turning the other direction and mm-hmm. I think what is uh, over and over again so inspiring about listening to your story and um getting to work alongside you clay is just the candor with which you are willing to describe your inner journey and to just say with such honesty about where you've been and it uh, it always is i think very reassuring to people, I think, in general, when when we're willing to own the dysfunctional, hard parts of maybe even where we are or where we've been, the people around us can relax a little bit and know that we're not going to be employing all these different defense structures anymore to try to make us see them in a certain way. And in, in, in so doing, you know, you're actually blowing the stereotype of type 5 right out of the water, right? Because you're you're actually quite emotionally available and you're you're quite willing to share so many details of your life can can you talk a little bit about the last few months you've been part of the Enneagram Prison Project teacher training program and and what that's been like for you and where you where you want to go with that
0: yeah that was that's I'm so glad I've been able to do that that's been really cool Um, so I I took um, the first four parts of the Enneagram Institute uh, training and then also the master class and so I'm really close to certifying with them. And then also, of course, uh, taking this class. Um, it's just really cool. Like it's to learn. Um, gosh, it's, I, I have this stuck in my head from a few moments ago, so I got to get it out or it won't mm-hmm. leave. But this thing about w- whether or not the Enneagram works in prison, like it's the, to me, it's the best place in the world for it. Mm-hmm. Like it's where people probably need it the most, you know? And <clears throat> I, uh, to me it's an honor to be able to work with this population and it means something to me cuz I've been there and I know it I know what it's like to be um, I don't know I think I come across a lot of times as somebody like my family makes all these excuses for me like oh but you're not one of those guys you know you're you're different and I got to say everybody's different like there's guys in prison that 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 belong there because of the laws they broke but they don't belong there like they don't they don't literally belong there forever and that's they have meaning in the world they have meaning in their families and they have uh something that a lot of them most of them will get out and they're going to come join us again here in the free world and i want people to get out and be functional and to to know where they can go in life and and i love i just i love the thought of being a part of that and and i don't i don't have this um great desire to to help people naturally always but with this particular uh population i just think if, if I can just learn a little bit more, <laughs> you know, coming from a five, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I could just, if I could, so to speak to the training, like this is so necessary because if I can, if I can learn more, if I can, if I can have a few more answers when I go and talk to these people, um, whether it's men, women, ju- I've been to juvenile centers as well. The message is always the same. You know, you, you, it's first of all, it starts with a choice. What do you want? Do you want to choose this or do you want to choose that? And people don't always have the answers in their, they're looking, even if it's not always a conscious, over overt answer, uh, overt attempt to look for answers. People want to be. People don't like being miserable. They don't want this. They don't want to be in prison and mm. just wither away. They don't. That's not what. That's not. That's not normal. Like nobody wants that. So, you know, I think there's. Uh, I think there's just a huge benefit in in serving this population and. I want to do it. I want to. I want to be there. I want to be the guy that people can ask questions and I want to hear success stories. You know, I want to. I want to meet people five years from now that that I that I met today, and I want them to say that you know my life is so much better. And I don't. I don't care about taking credit. Like none of that matters. And they could never mention my name to anybody. I'd be fine with it. I just want to hear that people are 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 living a functional, you know, beneficial life, and that they're impacting the world around them in a good way because. Whether anybody wants to admit this or not, the fact of the matter is we all impact the world around us. And so when someone gets out of prison, they're going to impact their community, their town. They will. It'll either be good or it'll be bad. And why, why would we not want to help people avoid the bad?
2: Let me ask you, Clay, What are some? what's a resource that you have now as you think about coming inside again and being able to work in different populations, being able to speak at, ju- to, at juvenile hall and what is it that you have now? as a resource that's five-ish that you didn't have before that you now have more access to?
0: Well, I think just knowing um, th- first of all that there are different types. You know, before uh, before I knew about the enneagram, it was there were two kinds of people in the world: uh, me and everybody else, I and mean, that's kind of <laughs> how I saw things. And to, so to know that there's, you know, there are different types of people. And it's not a right or wrong, it's not a black or white thing, it's just a, they're just different sometimes. So to me, like, knowing that and accepting it, can, that really paved the way for uh, kind of going down this this journey of, of you know, self-awareness and, and learning, you know, this is my type, this is what I do, you know, you have your type and that's what you do. And they can work together, like, it's not, it's not always, you know, my way or the highway kind of stuff, so... Mm. Mm. Um, I think that's you know that's the conversation that I really like to have, especially with guys you know in prison because there's a lot of like alpha male type guys you know, a lot of a lot of headbutting and you know all that good stuff, stubborn <laughs> folks and and I I think it's important to, you know kind of just to just acknowledge that we're different and it's okay that's that's actually a good thing. It'd be mm. kind of boring if we were all the same. So right. Yeah.
2: Well, and one of the the real values we have in EPP is that we do the work together, and um, so that we the our listeners know that we're really always growing together and, and working those edges off as much as we can. What do you would you say has been um, maybe challenging for you as a five in in being part of this training or in this next leg of your walk um, in learning the enneagram and going deeper with it? What's what's a stretch for you?
0: Mm-hmm. The the challenge for me is always uh, just avoiding to you know checking out and to 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 keep um, just to be present and to know that it matters. So, because I can you know I, I tell people all the time I'm not a different person than I was 10 years ago when I was doing all the bad stuff. I just make different choices. So I have the same brain. I have the same you know <laughs> emotions. I have all all that. So. Uh, I just make different choices now. So for me, the struggle is, and the something the the thing that I need to stay you know aware of is uh, I don't need to check out. I need to stay connected with the people around me, the things that are important, the things that I care about. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's um, that's the answer to that, and I forgot the second part of that. <laughs> Sorry.
2: Well, you're answering it and as you're coming alongside the project and being able to stay present, of course that goes into every into every corner of your life and the last thing you didn't touch on but I know inspired your your turning yourself in in the first place is your being a daddy. So, I wonder if you just could say in a minute how is being more present um, make you a better father?
0: Well, when my first son started school, um, uh, to, to describe him quickly, I would say that he's a very sweet kid, very nice. And I was I was worried that he was going to be bullied because he's just such a sweetheart. When he started school, the opposite happened. He wasn't a bully, but he gave the teacher's hell. And it was just, uh, you know, he was not a good kid to have in class. He caused a ruckus and uh, did all the things that I did. So I got to experience what it's like to have a son who was basically me. And when I was a child, the the answer to the problem was, you know, beat them into submission. You know, I grew up in the 80s. That's what they did, at least in Texas. And that wasn't an option for my kid. That never worked for me. and I didn't expect it to work for him. So um, I wanted to know what his problem was and and to find that before I started just putting in my solutions all over the place.
2: Mm. Yeah, so. thank you. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for being here and to sh- for sharing your story so generously with us and to tying in all the points about being a type five. Thank you so much, Clay. My pleasure. And I want to just appreciate um, all of you listeners. It's a pleasure to be here with all of you on revolutionary wellness talk radio. We would really appreciate it. If you take a few seconds to share this episode with your friends um, on email or share any comments that you might have. You know that this is a way that we can work together to make the world just a little more well. And if you want more resources, come on over to experiencerevolutionarywellness.com and sign up for our email updates. You'll be the first to see the newest beautiful issue of Revolutionary Wellness Magazine, which is R-E-W-E-L-L-MAG. And... Thank you all for joining us on this journey. You can see more about Enneagram Prison Project at enneagramprisonproject.org. And be sure to tune in next week for part three of Rochelle's show, Learning How to Dwell in a Place, a Practice of Decolonization. Until next time, may you all be well. Thank you.
1: Thank you for opening your heart and mind to new ways of seeing, to greater degrees of compassion, and to Pathways to Health for Our World with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Join us next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health on Voice America's health and wellness channel.